we will be concluding Hebrews today. And if this is your first time with us, you're like, cool, that's great. And if you've been with us for any amount of time, you're like, man, we've been in this book a long time. So we will get to the end. It's near the end. Hebrews 13. Um, I will pray for us, and we will go ahead and dig in. Uh, King Jesus, Lord, I pray that the thing that we've come away from this book is that, that you displace all other things. It's not just that you're the better this or the better that or the better alternative, but that when we see you for who you are, we realize there is no alternative. When we see the sweetness of the gospel and your glory, there is no alternative. There's just you. And I pray for that, that you would, you would as we come to this benediction, uh, see what it looks like for us to be a people uh, like clay molded by that reality, for Anchor Church to be a people who live to worship and enjoy you and live in the freedom of the gospel, and a people in response to that who give of our lives to help other people see you and follow you and know you, and that when we see that there's nothing else, uh, Jesus that we would be bold with our neighbors. We would be bold in the pulpit. We'd be bold in community group. We'd be bold in Bible study. We'd be bold at work, gently, kindly, lovingly, but bold with the good news that you make dead people live, that you save sinners from death to life, and to life, God, what a life. Holy Spirit, we need your presence with us now. I pray for you to descend here with us and be with us and lead us and guide us. We need you to change our hearts so that we can hear. God, if this is about me being able to speak well, we are all in trouble. But Holy Spirit, it's not. It's about you moving. And so we pray and ask for your movement now. Jesus, pray that this time would be glorifying to you and that we would live to enjoy you. We love you, Lord. Praise things in your name. Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, so we're in Hebrews chapter 13 at the end. I think we're starting in 15. Uh, and so this is a letter. So we come to the benediction, the thing that makes it a letter, the dear so-and-so, love you, goodbye. Uh, and here this benediction, and it's kind of weird because we have a few pieces to pick up. What I want us to see is Jesus is at work in his church, and specifically uh, we are told in uh, verse, uh, where is it? That's fun. Uh, okay, it's in verse 21, 20, uh, and it's this prayer that the author of Hebrew ha- Hebrews has for us. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal co- covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. That's a great close. I can close the Bible, say thank you, good night, and sit down. Um, that is an amazing prayer. But this is his prayer for us. And we have to remember where we've been in this book. This book is epic. The things that it says about Jesus are amazing. This book opens with the call in one and one. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels 
as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. That's how you open a letter, by the way. My letters are usually like, hey, how are you? I don't like writing emails, and I'm trying to think of the thing to say to make my email not sound weird or angry. I, I had to learn to like, if you, apparently if you capitalize in emails, it's like you're shouting, someone told me. I didn't know that for a long time, so they're all in capitals, and people are like, why are you angry at me? I'm like, I don't know, I sent you an email to tell you I love you. Uh, but this is how you open a letter. Right, and this, this book just drives from there. And, and the thing that we see, and so often we can say, well, Jesus is better than Moses, and Jesus is better than this other thing, and Jesus is better than the other thing. But when we see Jesus for who he is, the point is that, there, that it's not just that he's better, it's that there's no contest. Don't even show up to the fight, because Jesus wins. Jesus is glorious and grand, and of course he's better than Moses. Moses was just a dude, and Jesus is God who came into human history to save us from ourselves, as was the plan that he cooked up when he knew we would break everything, how, how he would fix it and how he would redeem it and how he would move in our lives and how God in Jesus would love us first. If you are a Christian, this means your life rooted in Christ is grand and greater than sometimes we even realize. And if you're not a Christian, this means that we are talking about the real God who actually came into human history to save us and to make us right with God. And there's nothing we can do to earn that, but that he has done that by his grace as a gift to all who would turn to him and be saved. That should be the driving theme of our lives in Jesus. The gospel, the power, the glory. And so we come to this kind of cleanup section because I'm thorough and I, I don't like leaving. Uh, I, nothing freaks me out more than I'm driving in the car and I'm listening to a sermon and they skip a line. They skip a line or two. Oh, that's hard or weird or doesn't fit with my point. So I'm going to skip a line and that's usually when I call them on it when I'm driving in my car and I'm yelling at my radio and people think I'm angry on the road. You can't do that. You can't skip a line. I like going through the lines. Now the problem with that is our first line actually comes in with half of the line that I did last week, so I have to read the whole thing. Um, but as we see this, we come back to that verse that we're talking about our shepherd, Jesus, and his love for the sheep. He's the shepherd of the sheep. And, and I think as we pull this all together, we will see this, uh, that the shepherd, he has a plan for the sheep. And when I say plan, uh, I, don't, I don't mean that he doesn't have a plan. For, like He is sovereign king of the universe. He knows if you're going to have 2% or whole milk for breakfast tomorrow. He's got that figured out. He has your breakfast in his sovereign foreknowledge. He knows what you're going to eat tomorrow, by the way, because he's God. But when I say plan, I don't mean so much as in he's got a wonderful plan for your life that's health and wealth or martyrdom or whatever the thing that sounds good to you. But I mean he actually has a way for your life to go, for your life to work. Uh, 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 Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man... Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law or the teaching of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. There's a way. This guy is blessed. And the thing is, when he says blessed, this word here means the kind of blessing that God does to people. And this blessing isn't, oh, you believe Jesus and you read your Bible like you're supposed to, and so he gave you a big house. No, no, no. The, the walking in God's ways, walking in the way that God has built everything to be, is the blessing. 
to walk humbly with our God and to know Jesus more and more is the greatest blessing in your life regardless of all of your circumstances. And in fact, he's going to use hard circumstances and good circumstances to actually help in that because he loves you to draw you in closer to him, to know him more, to love him more, and to walk with him in a clearer and clearer way. And so that first one, I wanted to clarify that. The shepherd has a plan for his sheep. And so I'm thinking more how we live the shepherd has a program for his sheep, and I don't mean Awanas. I mean the, the shepherd has a, a plan in human history of which we are a part because we are his people. And thirdly, the shepherd has a preparation for his sheep. That the way we live and how we live it out, uh, we're not on our own. God doesn't just save you and say, okay, good job. You got saved. Now figure it out. Right? I, I don't just like get my kids a bike without training wheels and say, now figure it out. Our Heavenly Father is such a good Father. He's not hiding from us. He doesn't hide from us how he wants us to live. He, he's, not, he's, not, uh, he's not just waiting to like jump out behind a bush and throw a lightning bolt because you didn't do something right and you didn't even know how to do it. He's actually shown us how to live. Uh, our next sermon series is going to be Micah. And, and Micah has so much about how we are to live and walk with God. Uh, and it's beautiful and it's helpful because it's, it's right there. He's not... He's not hiding it from you. He wants you to love him and love others. And, and, and he wants you to worship him and love the church and tell people who don't know about Jesus the good news of the gospel that Jesus saves from death to life. He's not, he's not hiding it from you. It can feel that way sometimes when you're like, well, where should I go to college? Well, he'll tell you that too. But, but the point is not, man, man how am I going to do this thing? It's, it's how am I going to walk with Jesus? What's going to draw me closer to Jesus? That's, that's the greatest uh, uh, framework for that question. Should I do X or should I do Y? What is going to draw me closer to Jesus? That's how you answer that question. You pray for it. He's not going to hide that from you, by the way. He loves you. Okay, let's dig into the text now. Uh, so we're starting in, uh, technically we're starting in 16, but 16 doesn't actually make any sense without 15. And so I'll read 15 and we'll talk about it. So the shepherd has a plan for his sheep. Through him, then, that's Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good, this is our verse, and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Again and again, the New Testament is going to apprehend Old Testament religious imagery and say, okay, there was a temple and it was this statue. Now the church is the temple. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, they used to go to the temple to offer sacrifices. We have the final sacrifice for sin, Jesus Christ, who covers us from all of our sin, makes us right with God. And so then our, our life of sacrifice is this life of, you're the living sacrifice. This life lived in response to the reality of who Jesus is. Enjoying God is the sacrifice. It is the pleasing aroma to God. Uh, so here we are in 16 then. So uh, 15, through him then let us continue to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. We're responding to his goodness. We're responding to his grace. We're responding to the gifts that he gives us. Right? We live in 2014. Your life is remarkably cushier than someone who lived just 100 years ago. 
right? And sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad and sometimes that is distracting to us. But at the same time, we need to appreciate, man, we have so much, Jesus. What do you want me to do with all this that you've given me? Do not neglect to do good and share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So the Bible is not, um, it's not health and wealth and it's not poverty theology. It is how do you hold the things that Jesus has given you? Is it like this or is it like this? Is everything I have mine? Mine, 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 mine. I live in America. I am constantly uh, uh, reinforced that everything I have, my time, my money, my talents, you've worked hard for it. Obey your thirst, says Sprite. Uh, Amazon tries to get me to buy what I want because they read my thing and know what I've looked at. Know what other, it's creepy. They know what other people have looked at that I've looked at. And they're like, oh, you like that Old Testament Bible dictionary? You might like this Old Testament Bible dictionary. Oh, you bought these Playmobil pirate guys? What about these Playmobil pirate guys? Just get what you, it's all yours, right? And we can even do this, you know, the New Testament doesn't teach a tithe, it doesn't teach, you have to give 10% like the Old Testament, which is actually technically 25% when you get the party uh, offerings in there. Uh, But it teaches that we give joyfully and regularly and sacrificially. And when we arrive at that amount, we can even feel, well, this is what I give to the church. And, you know, if I'm going to help somebody, I'm going to buy somebody a coat or something, I'm going to take it out of my God budget because the rest of it belongs to me. It's all mine. And and somebody needs a coat. And so instead of going to my closet where I have two coats or dipping into the rest of my budget or or sharing what I have and living sacrificially or, or inviting people who don't have things into my life or even into my home, I have a budget for that. I have a budget for God. I have a budget for God, I have a budget for food, I have a budget for my car, and uh, I have a budget for entertainment. And that second coat can't come out of my entertainment budget, it has to come out of my God budget, because that's what I give to God. Is your stuff like this, or like this? Is it yours, or is it his? Now there's something really, really important in this verse. Really important. It's this little word. Four words are pleasing to God. Incomplete sentence. You can live a life that is pleasing to God. There's two ways we can go wrong here. One is what I would call a Puritan worm theology. And not all Puritans had a worm theology, but many Puritans did have a worm theology that essentially says no matter what you do, it will always be tainted and God will never, ever, ever, ever be pleased with anything that you ever do, period, because you are a sinner. Now, hey, we're sinners. The Bible is clear. We We don't just while out. We do while out. We're selfish. We treat like everything is ours. We do the right things for the wrong reasons. We, we feed homeless people. So people say, yay, you're the guy that feeds homeless people. And wherever you go, people throw you a prayer. You're like, you're that guy. And you're like, yay, glory in me because I'm so uh, magnanimous for, for doing this thing. Well, hey, you're not, you're not feeding them. You're feeding yourself. You're not being kind to them. You're being kind to yourself. God wants us to give from our abundance and grace kindness and not glory in ourselves but in him that he would give give us things to give to others and not only that and I think this is a a, a big and hard one is they're simply just not doing the right stuff 
Uh, and what I mean by that is you're not, you're not actively whiling out and you're not throwing yourself parades, uh, but there's just hard stuff you don't deal with. There's people who need help who you're not helping. Uh, there's, there's people who are hurting or suffering that you have the, uh, the chance to do something about and you just close the shades, you close the door, you turn off the phone, and you go to bed. God wants all these things. He wants us to love people generously. He doesn't want us to while out because God actually knows how everything is built and the way it's supposed to be used. We can live a life that is pleasing to him. We can live a life that is blessed walking in his ways. Um, At the same time, if, if we miss and we get to only all sin all the time, we miss that Jesus Christ entered into human history. God himself crossed the gap we couldn't cross And that from the cross, as the God of the universe, bled and died for my sins, cried out, it is finished. You cannot out-sin the cross of Jesus Christ. You cannot out-dirty yourself from his blood that washes us clean. He loved you first, not that you loved him. Right? So yeah, Guess what? It turns out you're going to meet Jesus. When you meet Jesus, it turns out you don't stop being selfish and you don't stop sinning and you don't stop doing the thing where you're like, ah, oh, I, I, I shouldn't say that I got that coat for that kid. I shouldn't say it. I shouldn't say it. I should. You know what I did last Sunday? And then you say it. You're like, oh, no, I said it. There it is. Blech. Throw me a parade. No, don't. No, no. I, I wish I hadn't. I take it back. Too late. It's out. Right? Now, does that ever mean you're never going to religiously pat yourself on the back or you're going to while out in some way, shape, or form. No, it doesn't mean that, but it means you are forgiven, you are covered, you are working out the holiness of your life, drawing closer to Jesus as blood-bought, forgiven, loved children of God. So you can live a life that pleases God. What pleases God? A life lived seeking him and seeking to love people in his name. That life actually pleases him. Now, we also have to be careful here. This is not earning you any points in the sense that you're doing it so that he will love you. That's not the gospel either. I I did the thing and I bought the coat. Now God must love me more. Uh, It turns out, and this is helpful, when you have kids, you realize this. You're like, you you, want to, even as your kids are are being corrected and shaped and helped and be like, okay, there's nothing you can do that's going to make me love you any less, regardless of this thing you did. And there are things your kids do that, that make you happy. You get your kid a, a bike, and he starts riding a bike, and he's riding around, and you're stoked for him, and you're pleased. Or, or, or better yet, you see your kid take something you gave them, and then they split it with their sibling and give half to somebody else. Now, that doesn't mean you go home and be like, I'm going to put that on the chart. Good job, June 2nd, two points. I don't love my children more when they're responding to goodness. But man, am I happy? Am I pleased in a non-meritous way? They're not earning anything. They don't get an extra scoop of pudding. Uh, or, or, you know, if they, they do something, uh, minus one scoop of pudding. Extra, I don't actually eat pudding, so I don't know if it's scoops, right? One. But I think it's helpful to understand that you can actually live a life that's pleasing to God because sometimes as Christians we can live our whole life thinking that he's always angry at us and we never ever do anything that he likes. He likes when he sees his son formed in you. He likes when you grow in dependence on him. He likes when you live a life for his glory. And that's not about you earning his love. Okay. Number 17. 
Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. This is our favorite verse in Seattle, by the way. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So let's take this verse apart for a second. Okay, the first word here, obey, uh, this word is an interesting word because I think the best way to translate this particular word is trust. It's rendered here, obey. I think the better word here is trust. Trust your leaders. So we are elder-led congregationalists, which means that we are people who believe that the church has authority and the church has a role and the church has a job. And one of the jobs of the church, the members of the church, is the admittance and dismissal of elders, members, and deacons. We use elder and pastor as synonyms. They're synonymous. So that means when the elders think we have a guy who we think would be a good leader in the church, a good servant in the church, or a good deacon, we put them before the church, and the church needs to say, yes, I believe I can follow that guy. I believe, I trust that guy, which means that they need to be a person that are in and among the church. They're members of the church. I'm a member of this church. This is my church home. Joe is a member of this church. And as a people, we say, yeah, I could get behind that guy. I trust that guy. Right? It's not, well, I'm a pastor, so you got to do what I say. It's, no, I trust you. And, but it gives us a reason why we would trust this guy. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, it's also worth noting, you are never to follow or submit to anyone into sin, away from Jesus. You need to be at a church where you trust the people leading the church, where you can follow them as they follow Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11 and 1. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Paraphrase, but it's there. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And we say, yeah, that's a guy I could follow. That's a guy I could imitate. That's a guy I'm going to trust. Now, what's interesting here, he doesn't say elders, he says leaders. So guess what? If you're a Bible study leader, you're a community group leader, whatever, welcome to this rest of this deal because this is important stuff. But give the reason. here's the reason it says trust these people. Trust these people. This is important. For they are keeping watch over your souls. You know what the Pacific Northwest needs, in my opinion? Gospel-centered churches. There are simply not enough churches for the number of people between Vancouver and Portland, Oregon, that could probably be said, and I would extend that out to Montana, and this whole big, and that could probably be said for California, and that could probably be said for New York, but this is my home, and this is the place that I got saved, and this is the place that I was deeply entrenched, and this is the place I know, and this is the place that I care about, and what this region needs is more gospel-centered churches. There are churches that need more gospel and less Whatever other thing, you, I don't know what you do when you get up here and you talk about something other than the gospel. Uh, I, I don't know how to do that particular job. I know how to do the job of getting up here and saying, this is what this book says about who Jesus is and what that means for you and what that means for me. And I think that that should be the pulsating heart of churches. And I know this region, I've been going to school in Portland for a couple of years. I look around there. They've got gospel-centered churches. They need more. We need more. Bellingham needs more. Marysville needs more. Vancouver, Canada needs needs tons because they don't have hardly any. They're there. I don't want to denigrate anyone who's working up there, but they need help. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, but the reality is people need to step up and put their neck out and say, I want to be a preacher. I want to go replant a dead, dying Baptist church somewhere. 
I want to plant a church. I want to, I want to make disciples. It takes people saying, I'm going to leave, sticking their neck out and say, I'm going, to, I'm going to lead a Bible study so I can help other people follow Jesus. I need people who want to be poured into so that they can make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We don't just throw you to the wolves. I need people. We need to be a church where the gospel is alive and well and people know how to sit down with other people, open the Bible and say, this is who Jesus is and what does this mean for you and me for the rest of the week? What does this mean Wednesday afternoon, not just Sunday morning? What does it mean? And it turns out me and Joe can't do that and aren't supposed to do that all on our own and we need people who are gonna stick their necks out and say, I'll, I'll give it a go. They're going to stick their necks out and say, I want, to, I want to get trained up to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stick their necks out and say, I think God's calling me to Arlington, Stanwood, Bellingham, Mount Vernon. But you got to stick your neck out and hear this because this is where then I, now I say all that stuff and go, yeah, let's get them. But hear it. This is why you should trust these people. For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. The church is responsible for the gospel that's being preached. If the gospel is not being preached, then you cannot be a member of that church. Because when you join a church, when you become a member of your church, that church, that community, not just the leaders, the church is saying, this is a, a bona fide, card-carrying Christian. We believe this person's witness and faith in the gospel. And when you become part of a church, you're saying, those guys believe this book and preach the Jesus that's in this book. And we're actually, we actually believe that y'all, y'all are responsible. You all, no second person plural in English. Y'all are responsible for that. Why do, where do I get that? All over the place. One of the clearest places to me is Galatians. Man, Paul. Paul says, hey, you guys know the gospel and they're preaching something else. Why aren't you, the church, doing anything about them. You got a responsibility when you join the church. It's a big deal. You need to see it's a big deal to join a church. Because when you do that, you're saying, this guy is broken, fallen, gets things wrong, loses his place, and which feastal day I'm in last week. You're like, what are you talking about? It's okay. It doesn't matter. Don't, you, don't, you don't have to go back and listen to my error. There was an error in there. Right? It's not that I'm Jesus, and it's not that I'm perfect. I'm a sheep too. But you say, yeah, that guy, Pastor Joe, the leaders in that church are consistently preaching the biblical gospel and holding fast to this truth of our Jesus. And even that you'd say that he's our Jesus. We're talking about the same Jesus. He's my Jesus, and he's your Jesus. He's not just an abstraction. He's he's our Jesus, a king. Keeping watch over your souls as those who must give an account. This keeps me up at night. You do. As church. Not just, how are we going to do something cool? But man, are these people growing in the gospel of Jesus. Do these people know Jesus more or less as a result of this year with Anchor Church? That keeps me up at night. And it's supposed to. Because at the end of the day, um, as much as you have to give an account for my preaching, 
I have to stand before Jesus and give an account, and so does Pastor Joe. Anyone else who steps up and sticks their neck out, who we need men to stick their neck out to be elders in the church, to love and shepherd the church. We believe in a plurality. We want to have as many people as possible pouring into other people and being poured into themselves. I have to stand and give an account for you. I am responsible for what I say up here. I'm responsible in what happens in pastoral counseling meetings or Bible stuff. I'm responsible, and, and so are the other. You know, if you want to lead a Bible, so you've got to give an, you're going to have to stand before God and give an account for what you've done. Because he's a good dad. You know, good dads hold their other children responsible <laughs> for what they do to the other kids, right? That keeps me up at night sometimes. as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. If I'm up here because this is my job, which it is, I'm a staff member of the church, I draw a paycheck from the church, if I stand up here to just get money, this isn't going to be of any advantage to you because this isn't going to get in my heart every week. There are guys who write five years' worth of sermons they finish their five years of worth of sermons, and what they do is they get on a circuit then. So they stay at one church, and they preach their five years' worth of sermons, and then they ask for a transfer. You can do this if you have a denominational church. There's nowhere for me to transfer to. Uh, but, you know, you get your transfer, you go to the next town over, and you preach that five years of sermons, and you go to the next town over, and you preach that five years' worth of sermons, and the word doesn't have to affect you, penetrate your heart, or do anything in your soul, or in your heart, or in your mind as you live in community with others. Because you're hired hand. Not only is it, it's got to be my joy. This church is my joy. This community is my joy. This church, if you want to be leading in any way, should be your joy. And when it's not, we need to stop and examine. It's not just, well, he said to start a Bible study, or he said to get a, get a community group. We need more community group. Get a, so I'll lead a community group, I guess. I would rather have too few, few community groups and have community group leaders who count it their joy to love and serve in that way than to be able to say, hey, guys, we have X number of community groups. Aren't we successful at having community groups? Because Jesus has a plan for this church, for churches and for their life. I think it's laid out in the scripture, this grace-based response to Jesus. He hasn't hidden how churches are to organize. And churches organize, can organize according to the Bible the same way now as they did 2,000 years ago. And it still works, different contexts. It's going to look a little different in a closed country. When if you have too many people meeting at one time, they get suspicious of you, right? But God actually has a plan for how churches are supposed to look. And so we go here to see how our life is supposed to look. And we go here to see how our church is supposed to look because the sheep has a plan. The shepherd has a plan for the sheep. Oh, man. Next. Quickly. Uh, Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a uh, clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I am restored to you the sooner. Now, granted, this is, we're going to have to dig in and read into this a little bit, but I think there is an example for us here. This guy, whoever he is, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, has a global mindset. What's he doing? Running around, planting churches, and ministering to Christians. What's, what's he doing? Preaching the gospel to people who haven't heard. And what does he ask for them? That they would fuel that endeavor with prayer. 
Please, please pray for the elders in the church. Please pray for the close countries. There are people, you want to talk about, you know, stick your neck out to lead a Bible study. There are guys who are sticking their neck out with their whole lives and will lay down their life today for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your prayers fuel the work the brothers and sisters are doing around the world. And this is part of God's plan for the global church. This guy earnestly believes that if they talk to God about getting him home to them, that God moves. He's moving in Sudan. He's moving in Korea. He's moving in China. He's moving. And whether you can see the effects now or not, your prayers for the brothers and sisters around the world does something in their lives. That's part of God's plan. 20. The benediction. This is just amazing. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good work that you may do his will, working in us that which is, here's that word again, pleasing in, this, in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See how this is rooted? The, the, this, this, this plan for your life, not the plan for your car or whatever, but the plan for your righteousness in Jesus is rooted in the reality of Jesus. Now, this is, uh, this is, a, this is a, a prayer, this is a request, and this is my prayer for us. Now, may the God of peace, uh, I nerded out with a bunch of guys in a hot room in Portland all week last week, taking apart Habakkuk word for word in Hebrew. But you find interesting things when you dig down in there. And one of those things, that there's a verse that'll say, uh, in most translations, something like, uh, and and he uh, will be their peace. And it's talking about Messiah. It's talking about Jesus. And he will be their peace. But when you dig down in the Hebrew, uh, uh, and your English translations are so good. I I never want to, like take away from the, the, the value of what you have in your hand that you get to read in your mother tongue. That's an old word. I've been reading on, I'll stop there. I don't have time for that. Um, you read old guys and they say weird things and then you say weird things like mother tongue. What does that mean? Um, uh, but it says that Jesus, that the Messiah, that he is peace. Just like it says that God is love. It doesn't just talk about how Jesus brings peace, that Jesus is peace. He is shalom. He is the wholeness of God that comes into our life as a gift from God to us, to you, to bring the wholeness about your life. Because when you understand who Jesus is, you understand more and more about how life works best following him, right? It's not how, how much stuff can I do and be a Christian. It's how do I keep as close as possible to Jesus? How do I follow him with everything? He is our peace. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection. 
Our whole life is based on a factual event that God entered into human history to save us from ourselves and God rose him from the dead. And you and I are living in the power of that event by which God raised Jesus from the dead. We live resurrected lives. We live lives in the power of this new covenant. If you are a Christian, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You have a new heart. You have a new life because of Jesus. If this is a Christian, this is you it is talking about. That's what it means for you. And if you don't know who Jesus is, this means that our whole lives, and this was my whole life before I met him, is out of whack and out of sync and even against what God is doing in the world. And you have this opportunity as he can save you from yourself by redeeming you and loving you and calling you from death to life. Because it turns out when I live at the center of my own life, when I'm being honest with myself for just a moment, I break everything. I break the good stuff, I break the bad stuff, and I break everything else too. I break everything in between because we don't actually know how God has built the world to live if we don't know God. We turn everything into something that it's not meant for or meant to be. Now, so this is his program because God made everything... We broke it. He is fixing it. God has a program of redemption that God knowing our sin, God knowing our brokenness made a plan to redeem us and to make us right with himself. Knowing all the ways that we would push and buck against him moved that he would make you and me right with him and it is a gift and it is grace And it is mercy. And the thing that we need to see as the church is that there's this overarching reality that he made it good, we broke it, he's redeemed it in the cross, and he's going to put everything back the way it's supposed to be. And between the coming of Jesus and his restoration of all things, the wiping of all tears from all eyes, the end of sickness, the swords being turned into plowshares or agricultural tools or implements, whatever a plowshares is, I mean, you just, but the picture, right, that, that when Jesus comes again and he puts the world back the way it's supposed to be, you melt all the guns down and turn them into tractors. Because you don't need guns anymore. Because he puts it right. Now, the thing that we miss is between the cross, the resurrection, and his return, you and I are part of this program. You are ambassadors. You are carriers of the message of the resurrection of God. You you are carriers of the good news that broken people can be made right through Jesus with God. That dead people become alive people. And he's using you in that. And and it's pleasing. And and so this means that as we work this out, we we live to worship and enjoy Jesus with everything we've got. And we live to give our lives to help everybody else, me included, to follow him more. And that as a church and as a community, we live on Jesus' mission to Seattle. Because Jesus' mission to Seattle and Jesus' mission to the Northwest and Jesus' mission to the world is a mission we want to be on. The mission's not, how can we make the name of Anchor Church great? How can we make the name of you great? How can we be a part of something that just feels really successful? So we can tell our friends, oh, we go to the successful thing. Isn't that nice? 
Our aim is to be on Jesus' mission and live however Jesus has us to live and let everything up to him, to follow him with everything we've got and leave it all in his hands and defer to him all the glory with everything we've got and live on his mission. And his mission is to redeem this city. His mission is to redeem people in this city, not just the city, people in this city. I don't know if he wants to redeem the city, but I know there are people here who will be alive next year because of the work of God's people here in this city. There are people right now who do not know Jesus waking up Sunday morning this time next year because the presence of God's people in the city of Seattle who will live eternally with him forever and he is involving you in this program for his glory and your joy. Few joys in life and seeing someone pass from death to life. Few joys in life seeing someone turn from sin and turn to him. We live on his mission. But hear this. This is what you need to hear. I think this is what I need to hear all the time. Then you're like, oh, okay, so I got this neighbor and I got to talk to him. You kind of psych yourself up, right? Maybe, maybe you do have this neighbor you need to talk to. I'm not going to stop the spirit from talking to you. I'm not going to let you off the hook if he's put you on the hook, right? When you're like, I got that friend who, I've been friends with him for three years, doesn't know I'm a Christian, because if he finds out I'm a Christian, he's not going to like me anymore. The Spirit's speaking that to you. Hey, that's between you and him, right? I'm not going to get you off the hook and say, so don't worry about it. You talk to God about it. See what he says. But the shepherd has a preparation for us. Because what's the second half of the verse? 21. Oh, man, I missed some stuff. The great shepherd of the sheep. You got to remember who's in charge here. Whose program it is. It's his program. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to talk to guys. I don't know how to do apologetics. I don't have a PhD in evangelism. Yeah, nobody does. It's awkward for everybody. I just want to share that with you. It's awkward for everybody. I'm sitting with a dude in my house. He's on my couch. Me and my wife. I've had dinner with him. Telling him the truth of the gospel, he lives a life where he thinks that we're almost like, oh wait, so like you guys are like, so you guys are like that kind of Christian. What do you mean? Like you believe the, the whole thing, right? Like the book, yeah, the book, yeah, the Bible, yeah, we believe that one. Yep. It's not not awkward. I think someone's like, oh, he's the guy that's really good at evangelism, or oh, he's the pastor. It's, it's his job. That's what he's supposed to do. It's, he's at my house and it's awkward and I'm going to talk to him, but I'm going to love him more than the awkwardness in that moment. You know, I've got to love him more than the awkwardness. But hear this, and this is where we need to lean because I think so often we're like, well, if I could just cook up the plan and I could just think of the thing, then I can really give him the right argument. Verse 21. Oh, the great shepherd of the sheep. Remember the shepherd is. By the blood of the eternal covenant, his blood as you go into worship and as you go into loving the church and you go into to, to loving your neighbors, this is the blood of an eternal covenant. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God's not grading your evangelism. Well, you really should have used John Frame's third argument on that one. Really punted. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, John Frame, he's really smart. I don't know that anyone understands what he's saying, but he's got a really good book on apologetics. Apologetics is the defense of the faith, and you could read it if you want. You don't have to. It's a good book, though. Um, 
I've been wearing my sheet. Blood of the eternal covenant. So um, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But here's 21. By the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you, because this is a prayer, and this is my prayer for you, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Who do we need to worship Jesus? Who do we need to enjoy Jesus? Who do we need to pour into the lives of other Christians? And who do we need to share the good news about Jesus? We need Jesus to do those things, right? When you get that stammering thing, well, you know, here's my testimony, and you know what? Jesus saved me. And here, I mean, we had this, I had a buddy come uh, when we were at the Boys and Girls Club, sits right behind me, hadn't seen him in years, rejects me when I become a Christian. He rejected me when he became a Christian. Uh, turns out a guy he worked with uh, was coming to our church, and uh, he described me. He's this tat- tattooed, covered, loud, obnoxious Bible preacher. And he says, is his name Andrew Pack? <laughs> it is. How'd you know? Because <laughs> we're friends. We were in hardcore bands and stuff together. I hung out on that scene. And so he comes, and he sits behind me. He's just, you know, the band is playing, right? And so I'm that guy who's talking to somebody while the band is playing. So I'm, they get my back while I'm talking and haven't seen this guy in forever. And he just looks at my wonderful, amazing family, and he looks at the church. He says something like, well, you know, it looks like things are really working out for you. And, like, the band's starting to play, and I'm the rude guy now, right? So whoever was playing today, I'm sorry. Um, and I, and I started, it began with the thing of, like, well, you know, you, you know the, yeah, things are really coming together. And I had to just stop in the middle of what I was saying. And it was awkward. But God gave me what I needed in that moment. I just stopped and said, listen, I met Jesus. He's changed my life. He'll change your life. You need to meet Jesus too. And then the band stopped playing like, as I got that out of my mouth. And I'm preaching in Ecclesiastes. And so then I go up and I preach Ecclesiastes for 45 minutes with this old friend on the front row. It was a party. <laughs> it was good. But it's not that it wasn't awkward, but Jesus gave me what I needed in that. Uh, Jesus doesn't save you and leave you on your own and say, now you figure it out. Jesus sends you the Holy Spirit. Uh, Unless you're in like a USSR prison, he's usually given you the church. He's given you people to do life with. And there are times where brothers and sisters lay it down, had a buddy who was a preacher in the USSR, got thrown in jail for seven years for preaching the gospel. They let him out. He walks out on the street, and what does he say? He says, repent and believe. Jesus is God. He's who he says he is, and he threw him right back in jail. And that's where he sat out the rest of the Cold War or whatever, right? Sometimes that happens, but usually, look around. You've got community here. You, you have this gift. He's given you people to help you follow Jesus and remind you of the truth. People who can know you well and peer into your life and speak the truth into the good times and the bad times and keep you on point. He's equipped us. He hasn't left you alone. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can feel like, okay, now I'm a Christian. I've got to figure it out. I've got to figure out how to do evangelism. I've got to figure out how to do worship. I've got to figure out how to do Bible study. And this guy said, I've got to read my Bible for two hours or whatever. He saved you. He'll give you what you need. He loves you. To do what? To do everything good that you may do his will. He's going to equip you. The, sheep, the shepherd equips the sheep, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. How? Through Jesus Christ. 
You're forgiven. You're loved. You're saved. You're empowered. You have God's word. Yeah, I am a sinner saved by grace. That is a constant reminder in my life. And again and again, forgiven, loved, saved, equipped. And it's not just, this isn't just like, I think sometimes we take good Bible words in the church and we turn them into like, so that's leader, leader class. Come to a leader class and work through a leader book and you'll know how to be a leader. You gotta know what you're talking about. I'm talking about God helping you know him and helping other people know him. Equipped. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. If you remember all the stuff that he said, stop doing this and listen to the Holy Spirit and enter the rest. He said some hard stuff for us if you've been working through the whole book. For I've written to you briefly, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released. No one knows who wrote the letter to the Hebrews except everybody knows it wasn't Timothy. With whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints who come from Italy. Send your greetings. Grace be with, uh, grace, um, grace be with all of you. I, I think just to close, even looking at equipping uh, Timothy. There's two letters to Timothy, and in these two letters, Paul keeps saying, Timothy, buck up. Preach the gospel in season and out of season. I know you're nervous. I know it's hard. I know you've got a tummy ache. Take a little antacid wine and water. He said it's there. Right? He says it. And he does, he's like so many of us. What do I do with my life, God? What do I do? And uh, this church, not you, but you know, Timothy's in a spot where he's got a church that doesn't like him doesn't like his preaching, wants him to stop. And it seems like older people probably tell him, chill out, Timothy, and do this other thing and do this weird stuff. And, and Paul's just exhorting him, come on, stay with the program, worship Jesus, love the church, tell people about who he is, the same thing, the same plan, the same program. And what's amazing about this one little verse that brings me so much encouragement, on the other end of those two letters, we hear that Timothy has laid it all out for the gospel. He's laid his life down for the gospel. He's He's, he's run the race. He said the hard stuff. He got thrown in the can just like Paul. He did it. That's why I think God has included this. He did it. It's our, it's our footnote to the two Timothy letters. He learned to trust Jesus in the Spirit more and more, and he did it. This shows us about Jesus, his character, his order, his program. He's got a plan for our righteousness. He's got a program for the redemption of the world. And he's not left us as orphans in that. And that we need to see in this that if you are a Christian, all of these three things, the plan, the program, and the preparation, the equipping that he gives to us is a gift. Even the hard jobs. If God has called you to a hard job, count yourself blessed. He's called you up to the line, and it's go time. That is a blessing. The blessing in our life is not health or wealth. The blessing in our life is a life lived closer to Jesus. And for us as a community, then, it means that our aim and our vision and our goal, right, 
My least favorite question, what's the vision for the church? The vision for the church is to love God and love people because that's what the Bible gives me for a vision for the church. That's what Jesus has in mind for the people of God. So we live trying to worship Jesus and enjoy Jesus more and more and live and give our lives and stick our necks out to pour into other people and help other people follow Jesus and stick our necks out to tell people or just invite them to come on in. Yeah, you're a Christian and you go to church. No one ever, I found in Seattle, well, not never. You know, the guy getting the vegan A's Next to me, I'll stop right there. Had an interesting encounter at the grocery store yesterday. Stop. Lunch is coming. Rarely. Rarely people are, are anybody bummed to be invited in, even if they just say, no, thank you. You want to come with me to church? Are they going to talk about Jesus here? Yep. No, thanks. Thanks for the offer. Maybe next time. I never get bummed out to be invited hardly anywhere. Hardly anywhere. So this is mean for Seattle. We need to be a people who are truly about the worship of Jesus and about pouring into each other about this. So if you are a Christian, then this means that Jesus has a place for you. He's got a plan for you. He's got a program. And I'm not, again, I'm not talking about Wheaties tomorrow. Might be. They actually got a way for you to live and to know him more and to get the junk out of your life and for the spirit to move and to make you more like Jesus and to, to go more with the flow, to go more with him. The flow is the wrong word. And if you don't know him, then this means that you are living your life going against the way that God's actually made everything to be. And if you're going against, you're making the gap between you and God. And you need to know that God has come in Jesus to cross the gap between you and him. And the way that you get to God is not by crossing the gap yourself, but by coming to Jesus and turning from your sin, turning from him, because he really is God and he really did come and he really did die and he really did raise and he really does forgive and he really is real. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to walk humbly with you. We've had enough of ourselves. I've had enough of myself. I've had enough of my own plans. I've had enough of me trying to figure out how my life should look. I want to live humbly with you, and I want to live in the blessing that is living in the righteousness of you, Jesus, standing where you stand, because you're my righteousness, not what I do, but what you have done. I'm right because of you, and I pray for me and I pray for us that we would lean into this truth, and that our life would be in response to the reality of who you are, that our church would be formed in response to the reality of who you are and in trust of you, that we'd even stick our necks out to love you and love people. I do pray for this region. My heart breaks for Seattle. My heart breaks for the Northwest. My heart breaks 
for every kid like me who's just bucking against your love and true joy. Lord, we together now pray you would bring people into our lives you are intending to save. We together ask that you would equip us with your words, that we trust you, Holy Spirit. Because it's not about our education. It's not about our ability. It's not about our arguments. It's about you working miracles. We pray for it. We ask for it. We plead for it. Just pray for us, God, that we'd see you for who you are and live in such great joy because of it. We love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name. Jesus Christ, amen.